We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, everyone. It's Lindsay Rhodes, and I've got a new podcast, The NFL Road Show. Fun and kind of nerdy conversation about the NFL every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. I've got some amazing guests that are joining me. I'll be breaking the huddle with the top stories, previewing games. We'll get you set for the weekend fantasy with our Fantasy Friday episodes, and we'll answer some of your questions as well. So subscribe to the NFL Roadshow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Blue Wire. With the third pick in the 2020 NBA Draft, the Charlotte Hornets select LaMelo Ball from Chino Hills, California. TJ, oh my goodness! Stunning! With the left hand! All right, welcome to another Buzz Beat, your Charlotte Hornets podcast on the Blue Wire Network. This is Richie, and on today's episode, I'll be joined by Brian. The episode is brought to you guys by Indeed and Bet Online. Brian and I are going to preview the season for the Charlotte Hornets. Last season, the Hornets outperformed expectations, and we will see if that will happen again for the 2021 season. Also, at the end of this pod, we will answer listener questions. So stay tuned for that. A lot did come in. So if we don't get to them all, uh, maybe we can save some of the extras for next episode. So Brian, the NBA season is upon us. We're actually recording this on a Tuesday evening. So we will have two games tonight. So by the time you're listening to this NBA season would have started. And also have you uh, gotten all your Christmas shopping done? Um, Most of it, <laughs> most of it. I uh, scrambling to get basically one more thing. I got to yeah. figure out something for my sister and I've basically run out of time. So, but luckily, uh, well, not luckily, but I, uh, because of COVID related stuff, I won't see her on Christmas this year. Mm -hmm. So I will, uh, I have a little bit more of a cushion to, to get this in and, and get it to her. But, uh, but yeah. So how about you? Have you finished up your shopping yet? I actually did my last, well, I did like stocking gifts today. So I actually went this yeah. morning to target and I, and I went early, like right when they opened, cause I didn't want to deal with any kind of like traffic or anything like that. So yeah, I went like right at like eight 30. I was there. It was, it was pretty, pretty, um, harmless. So yeah, but I mm -hmm. am done. All right. So let's, as we get into this episode, we're actually going to kind of do a quick look back on the season last year, Brian, before we kind of make our way into the regular season of 2021 season. So looking back on the 1920 season for the Hornets, uh, they finished 23 and 42, bottom five in offense, bottom five in defense. The win differential we've talked about before was plus four, which was third in the league behind Denver and Lakers. Uh, so just kind of looking back on the season, Brian, let, let's just kind of hit some bullet points, that, you know, things that we thought of outside of like, you know, the fact that it was ended because of COVID. I, I know that's probably the, the main thing you think about for the 1920 <laughs> season, but you know, just my thoughts looking back on the Hornets, a lot of pleasant surprises, right? Like they outperformed what we thought they were going to do. You know, there was definitely some, over-reliance on Devontae Graham, which obviously had to happen. And it was a good thing because he did come onto the scene and he was a, a very good player out of the pick and roll and, and teams did frustrate him eventually, but that was a pleasant surprise. There was another pleasant surprise of, of Terry Rozier uh, off ball shooting and, and being in the top tier of catch and shoot players in the NBA. Overall, the team was a poor rebounding team. That's another thing that kind of stood out to me. 
certainly didn't help their pace of play. I know that JB is trying to push the pace this season, but if they aren't rebounding the ball like they did last season, that's going to be another issue. But but their shot profile is something that we can kind of point to as well, what JB was aiming for. Sixth in the NBA in frequency at the rim, 10th in the NBA in frequency behind the arc. And by virtue of those two numbers, they also limited their their mid-range attempts. So those are just kind of like the bullet point highlights that I mm-hmm. wanted to mention. What, what are some of the things that stick out to you from the 1920 Hornets? Yeah, it was a it was a fun season, honestly, prior to the prior to COVID blowing everything up. You know, so the team was so young and you saw so much promise from Devontae Graham, who had just an excellent, excellent offensive season. P.J. Washington had a really nice rookie year and flashed a variety of of tools. It was sort of a, a, a deeper, you know, kind of like a coming out party for Malik Monk. Uh, I thought he had a he had a nice season, even if his minutes or role were sort of up and down. And I know just before the league shut down, there were some off court troubles for Malik too. So it's great that he's back and seems to have that behind him. But just in terms of his play on the court, like Malik was pretty awesome last mm-hmm. year for for my for my vantage point. So you know they, I thought they checked a bunch of boxes last year because. They were competitive, but they weren't winning a lot of games, which is exactly what you want. And they were playing fun style of basketball to watch. The team was was legitimately entertaining to watch. And I, I thought some of this, like within some of the style of the play, they were setting the culture for a brand of basketball that you can expect under, you know, James Borrego um, or that you can certainly want to like build a, a modern offense around with, you know, the t- different types of shots they were looking to take, you know, targeting the corners, targeting the rim, cutting down on mid range. And I thought it was cool that some of the young guys sort of fit into that. Mm-hmm. And I thought it developed nicely and gave Charlotte a little bit of promise for the future. And so I have two questions that we're going to pose here on the podcast, and it's going to bridge the gap from last season to this season. So the two questions that I'm going to pose, and I'll, I'll let you start with the first one, but the first question is what is one thing from last season that we think will improve? And then one thing from last season that I think will continue to be an issue for this team. So I will let you start on the first question, Brian, what is one thing from last season that, that seemed to be an issue that you ultimately think will improve for this upcoming season? Yeah, this is, I think this is the obvious, one of the obvious answers. And and this was less, I don't know if I would even define this as an issue more. So just like it was a symptom of the style of play, the defense, especially not being that good, um, which was just the pace of play. Right. So yeah, for sure. We know that they were last in pace of play, but you could even break it down a little bit further than that. Um, After a made shot, Charlotte, Averaged 18.1 seconds per possession. Um, that was dead last in the NBA. Only team that averaged above 18 seconds per possession after a made opponent shot. Uh, they scored just 1.02 points per possession. Um, that was 28th um, in the NBA. After a turnover, 9.4 seconds per possession, 28th in the NBA. Uh, they were obviously more efficient on those possessions. After a defensive rebound, 11.3 seconds per possession. That was 18th in the NBA, um, but just 1.05 points per possession, um, 26th in the NBA. And so in total, they averaged 15.1 seconds per possession on offense, uh, 30th in the NBA, and uh, yeah, they only 1.05 points per possession, 27th in the NBA. So yeah, I just think with like with Lamelo, uh, they're obviously going to play faster. And even if, even if you weren't sort of trying to like aid in that uh, around him with the the revamping the system or changing styles of play or whatever, like Lamelo in general, like he's just going to up that on his own. But it does seem like you know more grab and go in the preseason with PJ and in Gordon Hayward or Miles Bridges. So yeah, just, it seems obvious that like, I mean, I'm not certain they're going to be like a top 10 team in pace or whatever, but it it does seem like you can expect most of those, most of these, you know, time of possession stats to, to go up in terms of pace and overall the team will just play faster this year too. Right. And you're, like you said, you're seeing that from preseason and, and not always does the play in preseason translate over to the regular season, but it seems like it's been a point of emphasis for Borrego and, and trying to get 
as many players as possible as comfortable grabbing the ball and going. And, and there's more players on this roster that I think you do feel comfortable you know, grabbing the rebound and taking it up the court. He did say last season that there were times where he was forced to slow down the pace because there was just way too many turnovers. So to your point, Brian, I mean, yes, obviously they can't go down, right? They can't, they can't go lower than 30th, but uh, it's, it's a pretty obvious switch that you're seeing. I think another one where they were last um, in the NBA was defensive rebounding percentage. They were 30th there last season. And if you looked at the preseason from the first two games, we saw the ability, well, let me put it this way. We saw the the players attacking the rebound, grabbing it and going. We saw against Orlando, it felt more like last season. So that could potentially be another thing that could be improved this season, but that's not the way that I'm going to go. And it's almost like the opposite of what you're bringing up. Uh, my answer is going to be half court scoring. I do think that obviously the pace of play is going to go up, but Charlotte was 27th in the NBA in half court scoring. They scored 90.3 points per 100 half court plays. Uh, The league average was 95.2. The reason I'm saying I think half court scoring is going to go up because I think the new offense or the new look of the offense is it makes it less predictable. There's more playmakers out in the court. I think there's going to be a willingness to pass the ball and you know, when things slow down, you do have players like a Hayward, who's another key component in this equation to add points in the half court. So what are your thoughts on that in terms of their half court offense? Obviously, they were a very slow team last season, but do you see a path in which they can actually score more in the half court with the playmakers and obviously Gordon Hayward that they added? You you said it already. Like Hayward is the obvious, the the he would be the critical element to, to bumping that up, right. To getting, to getting that more towards like a league average number. Um, he's a good shooter from every level of the court. He's a great passer. He can get his own shot. He's big. He can create size mismatches. Um, opposing opponent teams needing to put good defenders on him keeps guys like maybe PJ Washington with slightly less, at least one-on-one defensive attention. So maybe, you know, maybe that helps a little bit there. The, the counter punch to this, though, is going to be as exciting as LaMelo Ball is and as much as he's going to do for Charlotte next season from a buzz factor and mm-hmm. what he can do as a transition player, like he's going to play a lot of minutes. I don't think, you know, LaMelo is going to average you know, <laughs> 36 minutes a game or whatever, but like he's going to play a lot. I could see Charlotte struggling in the half court in the, that scenario, especially when teams go under in the pick and roll and you know, his floater's not going in. Um, you could see how there could be some sort of ugly moments of half-court offense. Now, they showed some stuff with Malik Monk and Devontae Graham working in tandem with LaMelo Ball in games three and four of the preseason. I think you saw some of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, again, Charlotte maybe has some counters of their own that they can throw at teams when when they want to go under LaMelo and try to coax him in, stay home on shooters and sort of coax him into some of these bad inefficient shots that he's going to brick a ton of this year. But, yeah, like considering their shot chart, where they want to take shots from they're they're going to the right spots on the court. They have a good pick and roll guard in Devonte Graham, and they just added a good wing in Gordon Hayward that gives you some like efficient usage. So yeah, I could see the half court offense. I, I don't know if I would bet on it simply because of like it just sort of some of the other like limiting, limiting factors with this roster, um, in the minutes for LaMelo, that could be ugly in terms of half-court offense, but uh, I would not be surprised to, to see that tick up a little bit, especially if Devontae's going to be a little bit better finishing around the rim, mm-hmm. too. Like It's the stuff on the margins along with Gordon Hayward, I feel like. Yeah, I, w- I was trying to think outside the box on that question, and I think even though it, it is a little bit outside the box, I, I can see it happening. And so the next question I wanted to pose, Brian, is what is one thing from last season that we think will continue to be an issue and I'll start with this one. I think last season, Charlotte, when you look at the total number of turnovers, it was 948, which actually when it stacks up against the the others in the league, it, it's not a lot. But when you consider pace of play, the total mm-hmm. number of games played kind of starts to paint a little bit of a different story. So their turnover percentage was at 15%, which is actually 24th in the league. And they had a live ball turnover percentage of 55.2, which was 25th in the league. So these are clearly poor numbers. I do think this is going to continue to be an issue. And it goes to your previous question. 
with the team adjusting to a faster pace of play, I think that would only continue for the 2021 season in terms of the turnovers. You know, maybe we see more dead ball turnovers with passes out of bounds, like trying to force the Mm -hmm. issue in transition. But regardless, I think the team will continue to struggle with protecting the ball. What do you think for this issue? One, One thing that will continue to be an issue this season. Yeah, Charlotte finished the year uh, 26, or pardon me, 25th in turnover percentage, 15.2%. Uh, yeah, long gone are the days of of Kemba Walker pick and rolls and being, you know, one or two in the league uh, in turnover percentage. Uh, that, that went out the window um, last year. Yeah, man, I hate to sound boring here. Uh, and sort of revert back to something we've talked about. So perhaps we can just hit it and keep moving along. But like, you know, I think defensive rebounding is of course, again, going to be an issue this year. Like, especially if they're going to play small, a fair amount. I mean, PJ miles, like some team, you know, maybe they're going to be reluctant to use that matchup against some teams that can really crush them on the glass, but they can really be hurt on the glass. You know, they're playing a smaller backcourt, Someone like Gordon Hayward maybe helps a little bit on the wing, but I just think overall this is not going to be a very good defensive rebounding um, basketball team. And I, and I may be a little bit higher uh, on defensive rebounding this year than than last year, but here's what I'll say about defensive rebounding, and correct me if you think I'm just kind of totally off base here. I think defensive rebounding is just as much about keeping opponents out of the paint and just kind of being aware of where your man is as much as it's about being powerful and strong and tall. Like, you know what I mean? Like if if you have a constant pressure in the paint and your guy is getting by you or you're on the weak side and you lose track of your man, that is just as much an issue as it is, you know, being tall and strong and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, would you agree with that that statement? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So I, I think part of the issue obviously is is not the not not generally the fact that this team might not have quote unquote, prototypical, you know, rebounders, but also the defensive side of it, you know, keeping opponents out of the paint. I feel like that's also an issue as to why teams were able to grab so many of their missed shots. 2020 has already reshaped how we work and it's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site, according to Comscore. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time and there are no long-term contracts. And now Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through December 31st, which is approaching soon. Terms and conditions apply. Football is back in full swing. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Bet BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to BetOnline today and take advantage of all of the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at BetOnline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Okay, another kind of acquisition offseason conversation to have actually went on uh, a pot. Well, you went on the podcast as well on the Witch Carolina podcast before. Yeah. Uh, and he had asked me a question about like the key acquisitions. And obviously the two major acquisitions for the Charlotte Hornets this offseason uh, was the draft pick and LaMelo Ball. And then the the sign and trade out of nowhere 
uh, for Gordon Hayward. So moving into this season, what do these two players do for the Charlotte Hornets? Like when you look at these players, what are they going to bring to the table for this team uh, in this upcoming year? Yeah, I mean, Hayward, let's start with him. I just think it's a he's a total floor raiser for you. We've talked about this a lot on a couple of different podcasts since Hayward was brought over um, about a month ago uh, in the sign and trade. He just what he what he does as far as another, another creator, as a passer, as a shooter, um, just tightens up all the bolts for you in terms of your half court offense. What he does for you from a matchup standpoint, um, at least in this season, mm-hmm. I think Hayward is just a floor raiser for you on that end of the court. Now, how how much does that like as good as as good of a player as Gordon Hayward is, you know, sort of like just all-star player, sub-all-star, however you want to define him. Um, you know, I don't know how much it's going to, that slight raising of the floor offensively is going to really do for winning. Um, it's going to do for like making this anything above, you know, I, I, what's the ceiling for this offense? You know, somewhere in the middle of the league, probably yeah, right, the right, absolute right. best, likely still bottom third. But, you know, they brought him in to, to win games. They were spending a lot of money on him to win games. We'll see about that. But ultimately, like, you bring this guy in because you wanted a splashy free agent. Um, and obviously, we've seen the 2021 free agency class fan out pretty hard already. So even though none of us were stoked about the move, we understood why, why? Charlotte was um, interested in bringing Gordon Hayward in. And in terms of the on-court play, I think that's obvious. But I do think with Hayward, there's also an element of, and I've said this a couple of times on the podcast as well, but what he does for LaMelo, bringing in a secondary creator, a secondary scorer. And I, I think that has benefits of LaMelo playing next to this guy that, you could, that you'll see Next season, or pardon me, this season, obviously, but just what it does for his development, getting to play with that type of player. So I think Hayward's a guy that can certainly improve the roster next season and probably two seasons from now. And then who knows what those last two years on the contract will look like. But ultimately, like the long-term gift he can give this team is sort of just like aiding in LaMelo's development. And so, yeah, now flipping over to LaMelo, yeah. What does he do for this team? Like he just, he makes them entertaining at the least. Right. I mean, <laughs> right. it's, it's crazy to see just how much uh, of a magnet this guy is for attention. Mm-hmm. Um, people are interested in this guy. They're interested. They like watching him play basketball. I don't blame them. He's really entertaining. <laughs> He's quite skilled. He's doing some stuff, passing the basketball that, in a limited sample, I mean, well, not limited because he's been doing this for a while now, but just if we're focusing strictly on NBA basketball courts, just some stuff that like, I, you know, I, I don't know if I've seen some of this stuff before. Yeah. Regardless of the fact that he's a rookie or not, we're comparing yeah. it to, we're comparing it to the NBA as a whole, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So what he does just from like an intention standpoint in a market where the team could really use some juice uh, is big and we'll, and we'll and like think, you know, ultimately the success of the team with LaMelo will probably sort of like determine just how much he can help grow professional basketball in the city of North Carolina, but he has a chance to do it. Right. So there's that. And um, that's the role for him next year. I think it's just being like a draw, being a way to get eyeballs onto the product and laying the foundation, hopefully for a really successful uh, career of, of, of development. And so, yeah, what does he do for this team? You almost have to have separate conversations about five next year, five years, 10 years. Um, because ultimately the goal is to probably, if not build a team around LaMelo ball, then to have him be one of your primary components uh, as you're building out a, a team that you can hopefully uh, consistently um, and sustainably contend for playoff spots. So yeah, as far as who will have the bigger role this season, like, yeah, probably Hayward just from like a production standpoint, minute standpoint, assuming good health. Yeah. I mean, LaMelo ball is, there's a chance, there's a chance he's the future of the franchise. Right. And, and that there's a chance that that future is also bright. So, um, but we're really at like the early exploratory phases of that. Yeah, I mean, I think when you look at the acquisitions of both of these players, uh, you know, they're completely different players, but they are both adding 
some kind of creation and playmaking, just in and just in different ways, right? So you have Hayward, mm -hmm. who has the ability to score um, in a variety of ways, but he's going to draw the attention of the defenders, and he's unselfish. I mean, he he doesn't mind playing that facilitating role. You know, he's not going to bring the ball up the court every single time and, and run the offense, but he is a very unselfish player. He will play make for others, and his attention of being able to score in the mid-range will draw the attention of defenders. LaMelo obviously play makes in a, in a completely different way, whether that's in the half court or, uh, you know, off of transition. And like I mentioned before, regardless of experience, he sees things that other players just can't, or he makes passes that other players just can't. So in theory, both of these players should make it easier for Bridges and Washington and all these other wings on this roster to get open looks and Malik, Malik Monk, Malik, Malik Monk and convert, convert these, you know, easier shots at the rim, something that Charlotte struggled with last season. And you were talking about who's going to have a bigger role. I would agree. Like if, if healthy Hayward is going to be the one that has a bigger role this season, you know, Lamella is going to go through his ups and downs as any rookie would. Obviously, LaMelo is going to have more highlights and more clicks and more, you know, just attention like you were mentioning. But mm -hmm. I think when it's all said and done, Gordon Hayward is going to have a bigger, bigger impact uh, on this team this season. But as everything Brian was saying, you envision LaMelo to be this guy that you build around for future years. And um, I, I think that's what Hornets have done and, and, and they're hoping that that happens. I know that I was not the biggest proponent of drafting LaMelo, but I'm starting to shift. I'm starting to shift a little bit and warming up to yeah. him as, as a player. Yeah. It, the, the fascinating thing will, you know, just along with his development, the, the million dollar, perhaps billion dollar question going forward is going to be like, based off how he develops, you know, how do you build a team around this guy? This is just like what the iteration we're seeing now is sort of like a, it's just a weird scramble of players right now, you know, because uh -huh. we've got so many dudes on this roster that have been drafted from 2017 on Zeller's still around plus Hayward. It's just, it's an interesting, it's an interesting mix. There are some pieces that I think not only pair well with him, but could, as I've mentioned with Gordon Hayward could sort of be nice development tools for him, but it will be interesting to see just like how things work. You have a, you have a, a primary guard, six foot eight, with those passing skills, that's going to eventually control everything in your offense. Like everything's going to run through this guy, but who knows where he'll fin his finishing will land, you know? And so based off how he develops as a pull-up three-point shooter, and I, and I, th I think eventually like LaMelo will get to the mid-30s and that, that'll solve a lot of these sorts of, um, you know, concerns. But the the finishing at the rim, I mean, I think he's shown a little bit of burst here and there during mm -hmm. the preseason. Um, but we've also seen plenty of these sort of flailing, out of control runners or floaters. And I get that's like some of that stuff is like part of his genius. I, I get it. He would call it but crafty. It will, he would call it crafty, Brian. Yeah, that's it. I mean, in 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 a way it is. But just how do you build a roster? Like, what are the pieces to build around that? Who's going to be available in these drafts down the road, um, the free agents you're going to be thinking about, like all of that stuff, more of that this year will be used to gather information mm -hmm. for that conversation with LaMelo. Um, I know we're talking a lot about, can this team make the playoffs? Can they make the play in? Is that good? Is that bad? And I think those conversations are fun to have. I get while we're having them, but I think everyone around this team sort of understands that, the conversation with LaMelo Ball goes well beyond the spring of 2021. All right. One more major kind of talking point um, before we kind of shift to our projections for the, the season has been P.J. Washington's adjustment to his new role. You know, Borrego has talked about trying to try him out more at the small ball five. He has struggled this preseason in a lot of different ways, shooting 30% from the floor, 2 of 14 from deep. He's turned the ball over 12 times, which is the highest of non-guards on this roster. He also has 11 personal fouls uh, during the preseason, which is the highest on the roster. I do want to play a clip real quick, Brian, from Borrego. I believe it was from Monday's uh, media availability in a response to a question that I had asked him about his evaluation of PJ so far. And if his new role had anything to do with his struggles, 
Um, here's his answer, which is which is very blunt, and he just was very candid in this answer. For us to be our best this season and to have the best season we possibly can have, PJ's got to be better. Nobody believes in him more than I do. Um, he's someone that I trust, I value, and he's got to play better. He's got to be in better shape. We need him to peak out this season. And he's just not there right now. And Richie, either he will be or he won't be. And if he's not, we won't be as good as we possibly can be. If he is, we got a shot to be a really good team. Um, you can blame it on the, you know, or, you know, short camp. You could blame it on our style of play. It is what it is. He's got to play better, bottom line. And he's capable. He knows that. He's got pride about that. And um, we need him to. So it feels like uh, Borrego clearly realizes that PJ has not performed up to his expectations. He also realizes that he's going to be a central kind of figure to the team's success. You know, if PJ is not performing, the team probably won't perform up to their expectations. And the biggest question that I have, and, and we kind of posed it on the last episode, is he equipped to handle the ball more frequently? Is he equipped to play in this style of offense. I think Spencer is a little bit more down on PJ than maybe I am. You know, a lot of the offense feels like it's going to be running through him or at least more through him than it has in the past where it feels like maybe he was more of a low usage kind of corner shooter, pick and pop type of guy. It feels like through the first four games of preseason, he's touching the ball a lot. So Brian, what, what are your feelings on his capabilities playing within this offense, does it need to be toned back? Or do you think he can kind of work through some of these mistakes and, and maybe he is capable of playing an offense like this? Yeah. I mean, I, I love what JB said, the honesty. And I, I love that they're trying him in this role too. Mm-hmm. Like, see what you have. He can do a lot of stuff on the basketball court. He's really talented. He's very skilled. Um, so why not try before you just station this guy into being, you know, three and D or, whatever the three and D plus the, you know, the, a little, a little pick and roll or a little DHO game or whatever, like maybe he has another gear and they're going to, they're going to find out this year uh, for sure. Unfortunately, learning that stuff on the fly amidst a super <laughs> compressed and competitive NBA season is can be um, that can be tough, but everyone's working through some pretty trying conditions right now. So if, if this is the role that, that, you know, if he's ever dreamed of being a featured player in the NBA, which I'm sure he has, like he's got an opportunity this year and, and, and going forward, I suppose, if it, if it takes off and, and goes pretty well, obviously like some of the ball handling, I think everyone was sort of coming into the season with pretty high expectations. Like, Oh, you're thinking we're going to see PJ play with the ball a little bit more. We're going to see more five outlooks. Maybe give PJ a ball screen or a little ghost screen and, and let him go to work and see what he can do. You know, right now there's not a lot of evidence that suggests he can really, you know, make a make a play just from a catch standstill drive, right? Um, you know, usually when PJ makes plays off a live dribble or in space, it's because he he short rolled or he you know he beat a closeout, a little catch and go game, and he can do that. Like I mean, we know there's a full season of evidence. Like PJ's good at that stuff. Mm-hmm. He's a good second side offensive player. You know, he doesn't have much of a pull up shot right now. Uh, synergy had him down last year is just four of 15 off dribble shooting jumpers in the half court last year. That's not a lot, right? So, you know, he doesn't have the pull-up game that opponents have to like really, really sort of like close down on and, and respect that. Oh, once PJ gets the ball, you know, he's going to pound it on a couple of times in the court and, and get to his pull-up game or pump and pull up and get to his pull-up game. You know, him, him being able to like add that at some point would be big, but I don't think that his struggles with handling the ball and playmaking aren't entirely dependent on like, you know, can he shoot? Bam out of bio can't shoot. And he is an incredible offensive fulcrum for the heat. Mm-hmm. Now he plays in a kick-ass system with some great shooters. <laughs> like, you know, there's something that, that PJ doesn't, doesn't quite have, but I think there's some ways to sort of like invite a little more motion into those PJ ball, ball handling possessions to, to maybe create a little more false motion or misdirection, just anything to sort of get the defense moving a little bit or get the, get the, 
help defense so that they're the guy that's one pass away, just like, so they can't be completely sinking into the paint when PJ drives or ready to Mm -hmm. swipe at it when PJ cruises by them. So, you know, I think there's some more off ball motion stuff they can get into. Um, I think there's some more just like really easy handoff stuff you can do. Rozier, I, I think is a guy that lurks as a candidate to, to be a threat as a movement shooter coming off of, off of those handoffs, um, same with Devonte, uh, maybe Monk or Hayward in some capacities. Like I think you can do stuff like that, but it, yeah, it's going to be tough to just like you know if you give PJ the ball and say, you know, drive to the hoop or whatever. So I think there are ways with motion, with screening, with different types of action where you can loosen up the defense before PJ tries to go to work. He can pass like he's a good passer. He sees mm-hmm. the court. Mm-hmm. It's just like, I'm not sure he's got the the sort of like juice to immediately snap into a drive um, without some advantage created already. Like we're gonna have to find that out. And I do think the lack of pull-up shooting also, you know, it complicates that a little bit yeah. too. And I think with any player that has to put the ball in their hands, they're, they're having to process things more than they had before, right? Like they're, they're, there's things that they have to process they wouldn't have to otherwise if you're kind of in a low usage type of role. Yeah. I, I'm a little bit more optimistic that this can work. I personally don't think he's incapable of playing the way that he has yeah. has been, you know, handling the ball, running some offense through him, grabbing and going off defensive rebounds. But I, I do think it's going to take some time, and I do believe there's going to be lumps kind of along the way. And to your point, it's also going to be better suited if JB can kind of get some off-ball action to where, you know, teams, like you said, aren't helping or, or sagging into the paint to where, he has to make a quick decision, you know, off the dribble and, and make a kickout pass. Um, so make make it easier for PJ, but I, I think also the experience will only help him in the long run. Just I, I'm on, on the spectrum, I'm closer to you. Like I, like I'm still pretty bullish and optimistic about PJ. Um, it's just yeah, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be hard some nights mm-hmm. um, given so, given a larger playmaking share this year. Can I just get in one one last thing I want to throw in too? Uh, it's about something that I could see changing a little bit this year. Uh, last year, Devontae Graham, only 4% of his field goal attempts were corner threes. It was 41 attempts. Um, I think that's going to go up this year. And I think we saw some stuff with he and LaMelo Ball late in the preseason. But just as you're going to see Devontae into you know the, the motion offense and some more of an off-ball role um, at times, certainly depending on who he's on the court with. I just think you're going to see him get more volume um, from corner threes. Like 9% of Terry's shots last year were corner threes. You know, maybe Devontae ends up somewhere between 4 and 9% or whatever. But he took uh, already in the preseason, Devontae is, um, yeah, 3 of 5 on, on corner threes in the preseason. So I would expect... Um, more of that uh, yeah. going forward. I'm definitely uh, pleasantly surprised the way Devontae's been playing this preseason. He seems like he's been scoring on more levels of the court. Yes, his offensive game is in a very good place right now. Yeah. It really yeah. is. So before we get to the listener questions, I'm not really a betting man, but I'm going to put some over-unders for you. Uh, just spend a couple minutes on this. Uh, projections in the outlook for this Hornets team heading into the season. I'm going to set the over under at 24 and a half wins. Do you have a kind of a, a idea? Do you think the Hornets will finish over or under 24 and a half? I'll go ahead and take the over. I'll take the over at 26. Take, I'm okay. going 26 wins. So obviously this is a 72 game season. So I'm going to go 26 and 46 for the Hornets this season. Yeah, I, I do feel like, man, I feel like for the sake of things, it's just safer to go go a little bit under at 24 wins though. I'll say, I'll say over, but man, not by, not by much. I'll go, I'll go over here. Okay. And then this is probably more important for, for the sake of no pushes. I'm going to set the over under on 11 and a half, the place, the place that the Hornets are going to place in for the East. (laughs) Oh man. Oh boy. That's tough because it's like them and the bulls. It feels like sort of for that, that spot. Would well, you want to walk through the East and see obviously which teams are going to be guaranteed to be above the Hornets? I mean, let's just, yeah. So guaranteed above the Hornets, you know, Bucks, Bucks Celtics, Sixers, Raptors, Heat, Nets, uh, Pacers, Wizards. Hawks, 
Um, what about wizards? You think wizards above? I think w- wizards. Uh, yeah, wizards too. Yeah, wizards, magic above. I think all of those, and then and then you get to that bottom five grouping mm-hmm. of yep. Chicago, Charlotte, Cleveland, New York, and um, the Pistons. And yeah, it's just like I, I think the Bulls. It, I mean, it seems like they have a little bit more in their. Although Wendell Carter has not looked great in the preseason, but new coaching staff. Um, new front office, like maybe it feels like they're trying, they're going for it a little bit more. So, anyways, I'll say, oh man, I'll take the. God, it feels stupid. It's, I'll I'll say, God, I'll say over on eleven and a half. I hate doing this now. Yeah, I I don't actually feel very confident about. It. These are very tough, like lines we're setting. I feel like I, I feel like I set pretty good lines, Brian. That that, yeah. that that's that's the perfect thing. Um, these these are but like barely like barely over. Yeah. I mean, I don't think they're better than Chicago. Like it wouldn't surprise me to see them finish twelfth. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I, but because I went over on the win totals, I feel like maybe I need to go over on this as well. Too, <laughs> yeah. just to we won't, we won't, a little. we won't hold you to it, Brian. Well, no okay. one's going to remember this, uh, but okay. uh, yeah, I would agree with Good. the top 10 there. Those are the top 10 that I thought bucks, nets, heats, uh, 76ers, Raptors, Celtics, Pacers, wizards, magic, and Hawks. And then, you know, just for the sake of our listeners, we do know that there's going to be a play in game this year. So it does go to the 10th spot. Uh, which yeah. I think Hornets are going to be on the outside looking in. But I, I do, I, I went on which Carolina and I did say that I think they'd finish 11th. So I, I'm going to have to be consistent and say that they finish above the Pistons, Bulls, Cavs, and Knicks. So, yeah, the only thing that worries me is like, and I don't know if I voiced this quite yet on this pod, but what does worry me a little bit is um, the possibility that like, they got Gordon Hayward. So they're all in on winning mm-hmm. would be them making like a, a win now trade during the season. You know what I mean? Um, because like right now they're, they're headed back to the lottery, which is like exactly where they should be. It's like, this is exactly where you should be going um, and go get another good player um, in the draft. But yeah, I'm, I'm like, it, it's made me a little queasy that like if they're pushing their chips, not all the way in because we saw some restraint, um, as far as like not giving up an asset in the Nick, but you know, in the, the signing trade for Hayward, although it, you can question the restraint because they also stretched Nick Batum to make the deal actually happen. So, but I, now I'm starting to wonder like how all in are they on chasing like, you know, the seventh or 10th seed this year? Um, we'll find out, but right now, yeah, I think they're safe. They're, they're, they're on the outside looking in of the plan as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think they're all in. I, I think obviously a lot's going to depend on how well they play. So the closer and the closer they get towards like the end of the season, if they're in it, quote unquote, uh, they might make a move. Brian, who knows? I, I I hope they don't. I hope they don't make that rash decision, but uh, it's not out of the question. All right, we're going to go a little rapid fire through these listener questions. And like I mentioned at the top of the podcast, there was a lot that came through. So we probably won't get to all of the people that responded on Twitter. We do appreciate the interaction, but um, maybe we can hold those off for the next episode. So the first question uh, is from M. Schindler, MBA. Thoughts on Miles' place on the team moving forward now that he's not going to be starting? Do you think he'll take a meaningful step forward this year? So I I think he's embraced uh, the backup role during the preseason. It's not like he's kind of complained or or moaned about it. He's come out and he doesn't seem any different in terms of just like his mental aspect. And in theory, I mean, obviously it's NBA players, but in theory, he's going to be playing against lesser talent, you know, not having to guard the yeah. the starting small forward night in and night out and expending a lot of the energy on that end of the court. So I do think that Miles is going to take a step forward this year. He's been one of the one storylines that I've been kind of taking a look at and just looking at his half court playmaking, running some pick and rolls with Biz and Cody and, and making some pocket passes are things that we just have not seen before from him. And so he does feel a little bit more comfortable on the ball, which is crazy to think about because I've always um, kind of knocked his handles. So I, I do think he's going to take a meaningful step forward this year in terms of coming off the bench. I think it might actually be a good thing for him. And who knows? He may be in some closing lineups as well. And if PJ is having a rough night um, or playing with PJ, you know, at the four and five. So I, I do think that he'll take a step forward. I don't think he probably was 
probably happy with his play at times during last season. So I think he's made an effort in terms of trying to kind of improve on some of his deficiencies from last year. Yeah, I think he can, I think he can take a meaningful step forward this year. Uh, I think maybe it's, it's, if your expectations are like in the realm of possibilities, um, I think there's a, a strong likelihood he can, he can sort of like make good on that belief. Um, you even saw late last season, I think sort of some of the, some of the lights coming on for him. Um, so it would not surprise that after 10 more months of growth development, even though it's been a little scattershot because of COVID that, yeah, you would see some, some, some modest, some slight improvements on both sides of the court. Richie, you mentioned him coming off the bench and so he's getting to play against at times some lesser competition that probably helps getting to spend more time at the four. um, That probably helps a little bit. I know there's some inner, interchangeable aspects of the three and the four in the NBA, but just as far as like what your assignments are, what your instructions are as a defender, as a help defender, um, who's guarding you on the other end of the court. Like, I think the way all of those things shift, they're all slight advantages for miles too, right? Like he gets maybe a little less foot speed on him defensively. Um, and then when, when, those, when Charlotte's on defense, he just has, uh, you know, he's having to maybe chase, chase fewer actions around the court. Um, and you could just more of miles around the rim, sort of trying to like, you know, make plays or whatever. So I think uh, both of those things uh, work in his benefit. And uh, if he's willing to embrace the role, which he seems like it, like he played well in preseason. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I, I feel pretty confident that, that you're going to see probably the best version of miles, which is like, it, you know, no duh, like it's year three, but I think some people sort of felt like he at times last season, at least early on, he had sort of stalled out. And I, and I, I feel like we're starting to see a little bit of growth. Maybe it's baby steps, but yeah. it's growth nonetheless. And one thing we didn't mention with him playing in the second unit, we all know who the point guard is in that second unit with Lamella ball. So him and Lamello, him and the Mello are, are pairing well. So yeah, nothing against Devante, but I, I think some of the passes that Lamello can make and playing with the vertical gravity that, that miles yeah. has, it definitely helps. So thank you for the question, Mark. We're going to go to the next question at Black Russ 2008. With the struggle to rebound the ball during preseason, do you see them going out to get a big? Now, the Hornets do have an open roster spot. Before answering this question, I kind of talked about it in the beginning of the episode. I semi-agree with the premise of this question. I think in the first two games, they they did a whole lot better in boxing out uh, the Raptors and limiting them to one shot against Orlando. It was a different story. It felt a lot like last season. Uh, this is a tough question for me because uh, I really don't have a strong opinion or feeling on this. I would I would lean towards no, only because I think it's too early to make that judgment. Like, you know, just based off of preseason, I don't think they're going to go out and just, you know, search for a big somewhere. I'm not sure if he's referring mm-hmm. to like a free agent or like making a trade. So if they do get a big, I don't think it's specifically going to be for that reason. It's, I feel like the Hornets center rotation is just interesting to me because <laughs> in terms of bodies, they have bodies, right? They have a lot of yeah. bodies, but yeah. when you really narrow it down, Cody Zeller is really the only like quote unquote productive player that you can count on consistently. So yeah. I don't know how to answer this question just mainly because I don't have a strong feeling towards it. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you too. And right down to sort of leaning towards no. Yeah, like they've got four centers, right? And they're all at various points of their careers or development curves or whatever. But like, I know Cody Zeller's on an expiring contract, but he's still here. You know, they spent a little bit of money to bring Biz back. Um, and they maybe could have, if they really had wanted to upgrade at that center position, they could have done it this off season. Like they they, they, they chose to, to just bring Biz back. And, and, and obviously like they didn't move Cody. So like they sort of punted on, on making any real adjustments. Um, I, so no, I don't think they're, they're going to look for some person just to sort of like shore up the glass a little bit, especially if they already have some sort of like marginal improvements, mm-hmm. um, along there. All right. Next, but it would, not, it would not, it would not surprise me. I don't have a good right. feel for it. The center position is weird on this roster. It is. <laughs> it is. It is. It is. All right. Next question from ball. So hard underscore Josh. What would your ideal contract for Devante Graham be? So just as a refresher, the extension deadline is passed for Malik Monk. Uh, I made mm-hmm. the mistake of lumping Devante Graham into Malik's extension deadline. So I got that confused. So yeah. Graham can actually sign a new contract up until the start of next season. So 
let's get this out of the way just for our listeners. The most Charlotte can offer DG this season is four years. I think it's like $53 million. Which, yeah, it's like 50, 53.8, yeah, somewhere in that neighborhood. Which I think basically. is totally fair in, in coming mm-hmm. from the Hornet side, uh, but it's probably a little bit lower maybe than he would kind of garner out on the open market if free agency was occurring right now. Yeah. Um, and I, I think Devontae would also bet on himself and trying to get something higher than $13.5 million. Now, as far as contracts are concerned for future years, when, when he is a free agent, his contract can take up 25% of the cap which would equate to $28 million in 2021. I definitely don't think his value falls that. So what, what what's the dollar amount per year that you feel like would be fair for both sides offering Devante? Do you think it's closer to 28 million or do you think it's closer to that 13 and a half million? Uh, it's closer to that 13 okay. and a half million, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's again, it's sort of tough to gauge the like free agent, or just like the free agent market in general. But if you even want to sort of like focus it specifically on the, the point guard position, because how much did uh, you know, Markel Fultz, right? Three-year extension, $50 million. Yeah. So you know, you're in that $17 million range. Couple Two weeks ago, Monte Morris signed a three-year $27 million uh, extension with the Denver Nuggets. Similar, like, you know, the good good guard. Right. I can't remember if Morris was, was he undrafted or was he a second round pick? Forgive me. For, I feel like he was a second round pick. I feel like he was a for, second for, round pick. Yeah. yeah. But for, I think he was too, but forgive me for not having that available. So like, I, you know, is, is Devonte even, is he closer to like the, the Monte Morris type of extension uh, or is he more in that, that like that $53.8 million over four years? Um, yeah, I think somewhere between Monte Morris and that number yeah. is like ultimately where you see. So, you know, 12 million a year, 11 million a year, something like that for a guy like Devonte Graham. That's a very, very good offensive player. And we can't forget that he's, you know, older for a third year player. He's going to be 26 in February. So that's also something to consider. Not that that's at the end of the world by any means. I, I, I cannot put a, my finger on a number which I would offer Devontae. And I think a lot is going to be him trying to bet on himself this season. And, and we'll see. You know, he'll take his chances. The Hornets will take their chances and, and see how it works out this season. Next question. Um, oh, go ahead. Yeah, Monte, Monte Moore, second round pick, 51st overall pick in 2017. Okay. All right. Next question is from E underscore TB15. Uh, we'll go quickly on this one. Do you think we will actively shop Zeller at the trade deadline? And who do you think would be interested in him? Also, what would you like to see the Hornets get in return? So I definitely think it'd be smart to get feelers out there for Zeller if the Hornets or sorry, if he starts to play well, um, I definitely wouldn't go the buyout route. I think he's too valuable for this team. So if you want to trade him, trade him and try to get those feelers out there. I think that'd be smart for them to do. But I also would not be opposed to just keeping Zeller and even if that means he walks for nothing in the offseason, that's fine. He's getting up there in age. To be honest, you know, if, if we bring him back, you know, for a couple more years, you know, in, in free agency, I, I wouldn't be opposed to that either. So it just depends on the money. But uh, I definitely would not be opposed to trading him sometime. But I, I just I never know with Zeller and how much people would be interested in him. Yeah, I mean, we've this is one of the trade chips we've discussed for a while now on this pod. Um, he's a good two-way center. He's not quite what he used to be defensively. Um, look, I would still shop him because he's an expiring contract at a good number. Mm-hmm. So, so I, I would take out some feelers and, and see what I could get. But I'm assuming there's not going to be much of a market. A lot of teams that sort of needed center help went out and used their exceptions or whatever this summer. I'm looking at teams like, you know, Boston or the the Clippers or the Lakers or whomever, you know, there's some other teams in that mix too. But um, so I, I'm guessing he, there's not going to be a whole lot of teams interested in trading for Cody Zeller, even though he is a useful center and can help you out on both ends of the court. Um, yeah. I wouldn't be fine just bringing Cody into the, the off season unless he really wants to, I could see there being certainly being a buyout market for Cody Zeller. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, that's exactly what happened with, with MKG and, and Marvin right. earlier this year. Um, but yeah, but assuming he's not like begging to, to be moved and to end up on a contender, then like they need help at the center position. <laughs> they need guys to play minutes for them at the center. And he's certainly the most obvious candidate. 
All right. The last question, well, last two questions, I'll actually lump them together. So at Chase Whitney underscore, which of these three players is the, uh, will spend the least amount of time in the rotation or the most amount of time out of the rotation, Cody Martin, Caleb Martin, or Jalen McDaniels out of those three, which one do you feel like is going to be outside looking in? And then the follow-up question is at woke underscore, but what are your lineups for an eight to 10 man rotation? So I feel like these go hand in hand. So let me answer that first question real quickly. So of Cody, Caleb, and Jalen, which one do I feel like spends the least amount of time in the rotation? I would say Caleb Martin. That's just my gut instinct, just kind of how I feel. I think that Jalen McDaniels offers something that those other two don't. And then Cody Martin just seems to be something that, uh, you know, the James Borrego keeps turning to because he's such a good defender. We saw him start the other night in preseason. And it feels like if Gordon Hayward does go down, Cody will be inserted into that starting lineup. So here is my, I'm going to give a nine man rotation. And I think you might be surprised at an omission that I have, Brian. And then I do have like others that are just kind of like right below in that tier. So the good news about this Hornets team, or, you know, if you want to call it good news, there's some depth and some competition. I think there's some interchangeable parts here. So I'm going to go ahead and list my five starters, obviously. So Devontae, Rozier, Hayward, PJ, and Zeller. So that's five of the 10. Then in my next tier, the players that I feel like are going to get the most run, I'm going to have uh, Bridges, Ball, Cody Martin, and actually Biz. I'm going to put Biz in that, that top nine. So you obviously noticed that I did not include Monk, but I do think Monk and Jalen McDaniels are kind of right there for that ninth or actually for that 10th spot in the rotation. So, and then Caleb Martin, I have a little bit farther down if you want to include him as well. So I don't know, just something about Monk this off season, getting that, that COVID test and just being behind the eight ball. Not that, you know, we, we can't speculate on how he got it, but it just feels like he might be out of favor, you know, in trying to get back and get back in shape and stuff like that. It feels like it might be an uphill battle for him. For him. So it's not necessarily my views on Monk. I just feel like that's who I feel like he who's going to be left out of the rotation. So what is your like nine, 10 man rotation? Yeah. And, it, and first off, yeah, I would have Caleb Martin as the, I think the most obvious guy to be of that three along with his twin and with, uh, with Jalen to be on the outside looking in. Um, I think Cody and Jalen are better players, better prospects. And also like the Hornets invested draft picks in both those guys too. Like, I think Caleb Martin has the chance to be like, you know, an end of the absolute end of the bench guy. I mean, I'm not even saying he's not an NBA player, um, but just like who's the more appealing prospects and who can sort of like help you out more now and probably down the road. Like it's Cody and, and Jalen, um, even though Caleb has some nights and he plays his ass off too. Uh, my rotation is pretty similar to yours. It, it is weird. It's like it, they really do have like one too many guards, mm-hmm. honestly, you know, they, they really do because one fewer guy on the wing or in the backcourt where everything else would just seamlessly click into place. Um, or perhaps if the backup center spot, I mean, this is fine, but if there was someone more sturdy in that role, um, yeah, I'd feel maybe a little bit better about the, the bench with this team, but you certainly they're going to play a lot of the PJ, the five as well, but yeah, same starters, DG Rozier, Hayward, PJ Zeller, um, Mello or pardon me, LaMelo off the bench, Cody, Miles, that would be my top eight, right? Um, and then beyond that, it just it, like I can't say, <laughs> I just can't say no to Monk, man. Know, uh, know. Monk, Biz, and then Jalen McDaniels at at the, that eleventh spot. But I think sometimes that will depend on who's hurt, who's out of the lineup, who's sick, um, depending on like you know how much a guy like Monk is going to rise versus how much a guy like Jalen McDaniels could potentially rise. You've got some swing pieces in there. Um, but mostly because you're bringing miles off the bench and he can do a bunch of stuff for you. But, uh, but yeah, that would be sort of my eight to 10, eight to 10 rotation, but I'm taking a bit of a cop out because, uh, I'm, I'm low. I'm just sort of like kind of ignoring the backup center position to an extent. <laughs> yeah. I would feel like biz gets, gets some minutes, get some run, but I, I don't, oh, he, he has to, he has he's to. going to, yeah, he has yeah. to, yeah, I know. I just, for this exercise, I'm choosing to just say I'm, I've got him in my, I've got him in my 10. Right. Um, I've got him in my 10, but yeah, it's mostly just because like, I'm trying to find a way to 
carve out some playing time for uh for Malik Monk, yeah. which is is it looks tougher. Um has looked tougher at times, you know, in preseason here. All right, guys, if you guys are listening to this on Wednesday, the Hornets will be playing the Cavaliers tonight in Cleveland. This is the first game in nine months, which is crazy to think about. Uh, We hope you guys have a good Christmas, a good holiday, and we will see you guys next time. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.